I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 23 this morning. And I want to invite you to stand up with me out of respect for God's word uh, as we read this morning. And Brian Doom is going to be reading for us. And if this is your first time at Central, I just tell you the reason why we stand, it's because we recognize and want to be reminded that God's word holds authority in our lives, that we come to hear his word, to sit underneath his word. And so that's why we do that. So Brian, I'll pass it off to you. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thanks, Brian. Father, as we hear your word, we pray that your spirit would work in us as we now take a time to just look at it, to gaze into it. And I know that with this text, as, as so often is the case when we come to what is in your word, there are unfathomable depths, beautiful depths that we just can't ever get to the bottom of. And so, Lord, I just pray as we come to it, Lord, that you might speak through me, that your spirit would work in each of us as he sees fit uh, in our lives, uh, in each of our hearts, encouraging where we need to be encouraged, convicting where we need to be convicted. Lord, I'm stirring us where we need to be stirred. And, and I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at you and we take this final week to really gaze upon who your son is, Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts, that you would do a work in us. Father, I ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. So um, I, I love the whole Christmas series season. I think most of us do. One of my favorite things about Christmas is that kind of feeling as parents that you get when you have the knowledge of everything that's underneath the tree for your kids and they have no idea, right? So if you're a parent, you know that like for months or weeks or maybe a day, depending on when you shop, maybe it was Christmas Eve, I don't know. But for us, it's been months kind of working through that process and, and we've known what was underneath that tree. And I love that kind of anticipation of knowing that, you know, you kind of tease your kids and uh, well, we kind of tease our kids. Um, about what they might get and, and what might be there in the gifts that we want to give them. But that part of Christmas, I, I just love that, that anticipation of knowing that there's something there that they're going to have. It, it's this, I think, that causes a lot of people to ask uh, their spouse to, or their, their fiance or their girlfriends to in, marry them during this season because they get so excited for that moment to like reveal that thing and to, and to communicate their love and want to ask them to marry. And it's the time so often families will say, oh, hey, we're going on a trip. And, and they just reveal that to the kids because the parents have been planning that. And there's this exciting anticipation that comes with all that comes in Christmas and, and when I think about Christmas morning, I imagine something like that was what the angels felt the night that they communicated to the shepherds in those fields. If you hear on Christmas Eve, David talked a little bit about this and just reminded us, like, can you imagine the angels who were in heaven knowing that they're going to come and, and share something to these shepherds on the hillside near Bethlehem? They were about to communicate something that the shepherds were completely unaware of that was going on behind the scenes. Like, this is the gift that they got coming to them that they don't know is coming to them. 
And even in what vague understanding they do have of something coming, they don't know it's coming now. And they don't know exactly what that consists of. This is the beginning of God's great reconciling work that all creation had been waiting for. And the shepherds, they're just chilling out on a hill doing their job. Watching sheep, making sure that they don't leave the fold, like cooking their food at night, trying to stay warm. I don't know if it was cold or hot that day. Um, but nonetheless, like they're just there. And out of nowhere, an angel comes into view into the sky. Or ground. I guess we don't know exactly where it was. But just, just imagine what that must be like. And we don't think about this oftentimes, but imagine if you saw an angel like... We think this is normal in the Bible. Even to the shepherds, this is not normal. Like, this is abnormal. This is extraordinary that they're sitting there, and then suddenly out of nowhere, they see a spiritual being revealed to them, an angel. And the angel, you know, you've heard it. You've, you've probably read it multiple times this year. But Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, this is what the angel says. Fear not, which is always what angels and messengers say to people when they come to see them for the first time. Why? Because it must be terrifying. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Great joy, good news for everyone, peace to those with whom he is pleased. A baby would do this. I mean, most of us have heard this proclamation a hundred times. In the church, maybe you've read it in your own homes, maybe you heard it when Linus, you know, the little Charlie Brown character with the blanket, says it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which we watch every year. Um, but this is something we hear all the time. But these were words from angels, spiritual beings who had seen the glory of God. Just think about what they had seen. And again, David alluded to this some on Christmas Eve, but, but they had seen the glory of Jesus before he was in the body. They had seen it. They'd seen all of it. All of the stories of the Old Testament, they'd seen it all go down. They had been there at creation. Uh, they had been there in the fall. They'd been there. These angels had seen it all. And they knew what was happening. They knew what was happening. They knew that a people who were alienated, a people who were hostile, a people who were evil, were about to be reconciled. The shepherds were alienated. The shepherds were hostile. The shepherds were full of evil. And yet, they are treated to a host of angels proclaiming something wonderful. But the angels knew that the shepherds had no idea was about this unwrapped gift that was before them. This great transfer that was about to take place. You know, Paul in Colossians, he uses a literary device that he often uses throughout his writings, which is this kind of contrasting, where he takes one thing and contrasts it with another, or he takes a group of things and contrasts it to another. And in this text, we see three things that are contrasted. And it's framed in this. This is who you 
were, but now you are this. This is who you were, but now you are this. And as I walk through these things, and I want to look at these, as we go into next year, for those of you who are believers in Jesus, I pray that you are reminded with great joy what news has been given to you. And that the news from the angels all those years ago is now a reality in your life. And if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're not a believer, I pray that you hear the good news of great joy and you find Jesus and what he has accomplished. So the first contrasting thing that, that Paul gives us is the contrast between alienation and being made holy. So alienated and holy. Once you were alienated. Think about what alienated means. It means isolated, alone, not near them, cut off, isolated. Some of you may feel that right now. Some of you may have felt that, or at least if you don't feel it right now, all of us know what it feels like to be alienated. At some point, this is one of the loneliest, most painful words in our lives. It's one of the most lonely things that any of us have ever felt like is to be alienated, whether it's being alienated from a group of people, alienated from uh, co-workers, alienated from those that you love, alienated from the team, alienated from your families. Like, we all have felt it at some point. I remember at one point I was in college, and uh, I was working at Sam's Wholesale Club, and I was doing tires uh, in the tire mounting area there, and I had to work late and close up that area. And uh, I had done that work all day long, and I was super excited to go spend time with my friends that evening. And so it was about, oh, I don't know, 6 or 7 o'clock at night as we were kind of thinking about wrapping things up. And I started calling all my friends. I know I should have been working, but I was trying to figure out what I was going to do afterwards. I'm calling all my friends, trying to find out what's going on that evening, and I couldn't get a hold of any of them. And so I kept calling, and this is before texting, by the way, for all of you who know that texting is the easy way to go. Um, I still had a flip phone. I was one of those ones you flip out and, and you dial and, and you leave a voicemail and you hope that they actually respond to you, and if they don't, you're just kind of stuck, right? No tracking, no nothing. So I had these friends, and, and I'm calling them, and I get off work, and I'm still calling. I go home, and I take a shower, and I'm still calling. I have no idea where anybody's at, and so I just decide, well, I guess I'm just home tonight. And that felt lonely. It felt a little bit of alienating. But later on in the evening, I found out that what they had actually been doing all night was they'd all been at a party that they had planned where they were doing like this big scavenger hunt going all around the city. And what I thought I felt was lonely only increased in that moment when I felt like, oh my goodness, like they were all out there having all that fun and I was sitting at my home alone. Now you may think that that's silly, but you, if you've ever been there, you know how much that hurts. And my friends had no ill intent. Like I found out, they just, they just forgot that I was working that night. They got busy. It wasn't, there was no ill intent. But nonetheless, it, it hurt to be left on the outside, to be isolated. And we all know the sting of that. We feel, we understand what that means. Likewise, we are all alienated from God. We may not have known it at the time, but it doesn't change the reality of our position, isolated from God. So being isolated from God means a lot, but I want to focus on four key things, and they all start with P, so you can remember them all, I think. But being isolated God, from God means that we're also alienated, we're isolated from His promises. Just think about what that means. 
being isolated and alienated from the promises of God. We know that there's a certain promise that came with Christmas morning if you grew up or you are in a home with a loving father, right? And a loving mother. Like you know there's a certain promise to Christmas morning. You may not know a specific promise has been given. Nobody probably gave you a specific promise about a present that was underneath the tree. But because you know your parents are for you, not against you. Because you know your parents love you and they give to you. Christmas morning in itself, especially for kids, holds a certain promise to life, doesn't it? It's part of what's exciting about the lights and all the anticipation and all of those different things. Like There's this promise that's being held. What promise do we have to life isolated away from a loving father? I mean, just think about if you didn't have a loving father and a loving mother who constantly spend 364 years of, the, of their year giving to you as a child, would you still have the same hope of a Christmas morning full of all kinds of promise? We think about the promise of a college student going to college, and when they graduate college, we, we say things like, oh, you think about all the things that are before you and the great promise that life has for you now because of all of that stuff. And so you look forward to it, and you think about all this promise that's there. But what if it doesn't come true? Then that becomes deflating. It becomes discouraging. Here's the question. What hope does life hold for us without the promise that comes from the loving Father in heaven? We're alienated from that. We're alienated from the promise that comes not just his specific promises, which we're also alienated from, but from the understanding that we have a loving Father who is there to make our future promising. And any temporary promise is just that for us. It's, it's temporary. And to be alienated from God means we're alienated from promise, from his promises. This is who we were. But not only were we alienated from his promises, but we're also alienated from provision, not only for this life, but also for the next. We are isolated from his providing hand, not only materially, but also his hand to guard us, to protect us, to help us through this world. Like we're isolated from that. Again, think of a child being isolated from the provision of a father and a mother. And what, what, kind of, what kind of a state does that put that child in? We're also alienated from purpose, isolated away from him. Our highest potential purpose in this world is to get yours, right? Like apart from any purpose in him and even isolated from a purpose in him, your greatest calling in this world is to get yours and get as much of yours as you possibly can until you no longer have the strength to hold on to what is yours, and you watch what is yours slowly fade into other people's hands. This is, this is the hope of the world. This is what it is to be isolated from the Father. We have no purpose, but, but with Him, we have purpose. So we're isolated from His promises, we're isolated from His provision, we're isolated from His purpose, and we're isolated from His presence. Alone. If there's anything we've learned in the past few years, we have learned how hard being alone is and how much that is, goes against how we are being made to be. Worst part about COVID for my family was being stuck in my house for 10 days. 
Like it's just, it's just hard, amen. Irene knows, like they just walk through it. Like it's hard to be stuck there alone, cut off from other people that you love and you know and you can't get to them because you're trying to, like here's the point. Like we are made to not only be with one another, we are made to be with him and apart from him before Jesus, we were isolated from his presence, alienated from his presence. You know, before we adopted Jade, she was alienated from us. She was isolated away from us. She didn't know it. She had no idea that she was isolated from us, but she was. I want to show you a little video of the first time we met Jade. And I want you to see it because it visually gives us an understanding of what isolation and alienation looks like. She, like us, she had no understanding of what she had been alienated from. She had no understanding what she had been isolated away from. But she had no access to the promise of love and life, of being cared for by me and Karen. She had no access to that. She had no promise of that life, no access to the provision at our hands, no purpose, no belonging, no hope of flourishing, like just just what hope did she have in her life other than to get out of the orphanage at 18 and end up on the streets in China? Like completely alienated. No connection and presence to a loving father and a mother. Like this is isolation. This is alienation. This is a visual of what we once were, but we're not anymore. Like, this is what Jesus is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. That He takes that which is isolated and He sets it apart and makes it holy. Christmas is bringing great news of joy, the great news that has now reconciled us, those who were alienated, that we might become unholy or that we might become uncommon, holy. I think of Jade, she was isolated, and out of all those kids in that orphanage, she was set apart to become a McClintock. That's who we were and who we now are. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, because of Jesus, we have access to uncommon promises of Christ. Uncommon promises of the scriptures. We have access to his uncommon provision through his hand and his love and his care. We have the uncommon purposes, his people and his sons and his daughters, to seek his kingdom first, to know that that kingdom is for us, an inheritance for us. And we begin to walk in the uncommon presence of the King of kings and the God of this universe who has brought us back into relationship with him. Those who were alienated are now uncommon and holy and brought into position with him. You and me, we've been translated Transferred from isolation to holiness. Jade was transferred from alienation to being completely set apart as my daughter. As a beloved. As a McClintock. Look at the next contrast that Paul gives us. He says, we were also hostile, but we were now being made blameless. Hostile in mind. We weren't in a neutral position with God. 
It isn't like our relationships with people that we meet. You know, if you're a first-time visitor here, I like to meet people that are coming in, even if you're not. Uh, and I've never met you before. I love the opportunity to meet with other people here in the church. And when we meet for the first time, like it's kind of neutral, isn't it? Like you're not hostile to me, towards me, at least I hope not. And I'm not hostile towards you. Like there's a neutrality in our relationship with other people. Not so the case with God. There is no neutral when we meet Jesus, when we meet the Father. We are at a default position of hostile. Kind of like the video of my daughter. Does she look like she was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here to get me. We experience hostility for like two years. Because she didn't know. And she didn't have it. And her default nature was like, who are you? And why are you touching me? And why are you here? She had no reason to trust us. Like in her isolation, bred in fear and doubt and all kinds of questions, like she was hostile to us. Like we are hostile to the Father. We are hostile to Him. We don't start off neutral. We naturally are simply at odds with Him in everything. We're at odds with him with his will. We're at odds with him with his wisdom. We're at odds with him with his character. We are at odds with him. This is who we were. But through Jesus, he has now reconciled us so that we might not be hostile, but we might be blameless without blemish. All that hostility that we prior had all that hostility that even sometimes we still carry with us as we grow more and more slowly into his likeness, all of it is taken from us and we are seen as blameless and completely at peace with him. This is one of those things, and I, I don't try to always bring up adoption, but it's one of those pictures that just, it's there because it's scripturally there. Like, we did not see my daughter as hostile anymore. No, even, in, even when she still was being hostile, we didn't view her that way because we had made peace with her. We had brought her into our family. Like he's, He sees us this way. He sees us blameless, without blemish. Because of Jesus' sufferings, there is peace. And he is presenting us before the Father as blameless and pure. We once were hostile. Now he has recon, reconciled us so that we can be blameless and guiltless in his presence. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is what the angels knew was on the horizon, not only for the shepherds, for, but for all people. Imagine what they would have felt like. Angels have emotions, I'm sure, like, right? Imagine what they felt like to see this being what they're communicating to these shepherds. Like, you're about to be put in a position where you can be made blameless through this baby. Yes, it's amazing. Third, we also once were evil, but now we are unaccusable. Let me put it this way. Anybody who practices any use or any engagement of intimacy outside of marriage between one woman and one man, anyone who is hateful, Anyone who has lied, anyone who has coveted that which is not yours, anyone who has been lazy, anyone who has talked bad about another person, anyone who has been greedy, anyone who has been selfish, anyone who has stolen something, anyone who has conducted themselves without full integrity in their business life, like 
when you get your click list even, and they give you an extra pound of beef that you didn't pay for, and you just take it and go, woo! Not that that's ever happened. Anyone who's ever hurt someone, anyone who's ever taken pleasure in someone else's pain, anyone who has damned someone when they have no right or power to do so with their words, anyone who has used Jesus' name as a curse or God's name as a curse, anyone who has had filthiness come out of their mouths, anyone who has had a vile thought, anyone who has had a hateful thought, anyone who has lusted, anyone who has done these things. In fact, hold on. How many of you have done one of those? Come on. Seriously? Guess what? You're evil. You're evil. Like, we love to paint a better picture of ourselves, don't we? Like, we love to try to, like, pander to that and, like, like oh, that's not that big of a deal. Like, no, no. even if you've not done any of those things except had the one vile thought in your mind, that one vile thought isn't what makes you evil. That one vile thought was there because you are evil. Like, you're evil. We're evil. And we like to paint ourselves in a different picture. We like to paint ourselves in better light. And by the way, that list comes out of Scripture. I didn't make it up. And it's there so we can see ourselves. And here's why. We are full of evil deeds. They are evil not because God has said so, but because they are destructive and hurtful and they go against him and they're rebellion against him. And here's the beauty of it. There is a freedom and a humility and a powerful confidence that comes from not hiding from this reality, but coming to grips with it and saying, I'm, I'm, evil. It is he, it, 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 it is who we all are, and yet he has reconciled us, and he has made us unaccusable, above reproach. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, and all of our evil deeds are being listed by the enemy, we will stand there, and we will listen. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? Standing before the judgment seat of Jesus and having the enemy go, and he did this, and she did this, and she thought this, and she thought that. And I think about what it's going to be like for me, and I hope that as Satan starts to list those things off, I get a grin on my face. I hope that in that moment, I'm able to go, oh, Satan, you forgot one. Like, there was this thought I had one time that you didn't know about because you can't read my thoughts. And, and let me just tell you that one because you thought I was bad. Let me just tell you how bad I really am because I know that I am evil. And guess what? I'm still confident to stand before Jesus. You know why? Because right out of Zechariah, we see this very thing happen when the Zechariah, where the Joshua the high priest is being accused before the Father. And this is what is said, and this is what will be said of all of those who are in Jesus Christ. Oh, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is not Darren one that I have plucked from the fire? Have I not made him righteous by my blood and clothed him with purity and righteousness? I see none of these deeds. He is unaccusable to me. He, amen? 
He is unaccusable to me. He is now above reproach. Shut your mouth. This is the hope we have in Jesus. Can we not just be evil and say we were all evil? We are evil except for Jesus Christ. And this makes the beauty of Christmas that much more wonderful for us, doesn't it? And yet, sometimes we like try to pretend like we're not. Oh, I'm really not that bad. No, I'm worse than I thought. A couple of months ago, we said, like, you're worse off than you think you are. Merry Christmas or something like that. I don't remember how he said it. Like, this is the reality for us. And the gospel says, no, like, the Lord is going to rebuke Satan. And he's going to say, man, all I see is my son in Darren. All I see is my son. That's it. Man, what a, what a tremendous thing. Friends, Christmas reminds us, and the angels knew it that morning or that evening when they were saying this, but it reminds us that in that moment, there will be no refuge from Jesus. There will only be refuge in Jesus. Amen? Let me say that again. In the moment when you stand before him, there will be no refuge from Jesus. There will only be refuge in Jesus. You're either in him or you're outside of him, and you don't want to be there. This is the gospel. Is it any wonder why angels came from heaven to say, good news, great joy, all people. For generations it's been this way. And we need Linus with the blanket to remind us. Isn't it funny? And I'm so grateful for my Savior. Are you? As we move away from Christmas, and I I hope you've been encouraged this morning. I hope you've been reminded of, of how much he has done for us in this great transfer. But I want to echo the last few verses of what Paul gives us in Colossians here. He says, and he, he challenges the people of Colossians, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven. And here's my challenge. It is a call to persevere, church, in 2022. Listen, God absolutely preserves us by his grace, by his mercy, by his spirit that is in us, conforming us into his likeness, but we have a responsibility to strive and to persevere to the end. Amen? This is the challenge and the encouragement that I want to give to you as you head into 2022. First and foremost, brothers and sisters, continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Maybe you don't see what you hope for. Maybe you don't feel uncommon, holy, Maybe you don't feel blameless. Maybe you don't feel above reproach. I'm guessing that Jade didn't feel like my daughter for a really long time, but I am so grateful that our feelings don't change reality. I'm so grateful our feelings don't change reality, and I'm so grateful that our sight doesn't determine what is true. You are adopted because he declares you to be adopted if you've put your faith in Jesus, not because you've done anything. Continue to trust him. Continue in faith. Continue to trust in his reconciling work. 
Continue to take steps this year that are dependent upon uh, who you are as a son or a daughter. In other words, take steps of faith this year. Don't just sit and, and open all words. Like be willing to, to take on that purpose that he's given to you. Continue to strive for what is unseen. Don't be distracted by all the glitz and the glamour of this world, by its pleasures and its trinkets. Continue in the faith. Uh, I'm listening to uh, Pilgrim's Progress right now. How many of you have read or listened to Pilgrim's Progress? It's one of those books by John Bunyan. Uh, I try to listen to once every couple years. It's just so much to it. As it, it's, it's a vision or whatnot of, of what the Christian life is. And there's this part in the Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, who's the main character, who's on the journey of faith, and he comes into this house, and he meets a man named Interpreter. And Interpreter is going through a house, showing him different rooms that communicate certain things about life and faith and, and what it's like. And he takes Christian into this one room, and there's these two kids sitting in a room. One is called Passion, and one is called Patience. And Christian's sitting there, he's like, well, what's going on with this? I don't understand, because he sees Passion sitting there on the floor, and someone comes and brings Passion, this little child, this bag full of toys. And so Passion is on the floor, and he's playing with all these toys, and he's having a blast. And it looks like Patience is over here, just lonely and sad. And, and, and Christian's like, well, what's going on with Patience? Like, with this kid, like, why? Is he not? And interpreter says, well, just hold on and wait. And what happens is over time, passion plays with all of his toys and all of his treasures, and then they begin to fade. And then you see passion sitting there in tattered clothes. And now patience gets his treasure. The last treasure. And here's what's amazing about this. Scripture talks about the first being last and the last being first. But here's the beautiful thing that so often we miss, and I love how Pilgrim's Progress reminds us of this, that if you and I spend our time in what we can see, enjoying and the pleasures and the trinkets being distracted by the cares of this world, and the now is what we keep our eyes fixed upon, and only that, you're receiving your treasure, and you're like passion, and you're playing with all that stuff, and you're enjoying all that stuff, but... That will pass away to the last treasure. Think about what that means. What comes after last? Nothing. Because what is last doesn't pass away to the next thing. Think about that. We wait with patience and keep our eyes in faith on what is to come and the inheritance that is to come for us because when it is given to us, it is the last treasure we will ever have because it's the last treasure we will ever need and it is the last thing that we will ever dream of because there will be nothing better and it will never pass away to the next thing. Just think about that. So church, continue in faith. Fix your eyes upon the world to come Fix your eyes upon your king who sits upon the throne and look upon the treasures that will last and be everlasting. Second, Colossians reminds us to be stable. Plant your feet upon what will not be moved. His word, his promises, his provision, his purposes, his presence. Friends, be steadfast in the pursuit of these things. They will not fade. They will never be shaken. The promises of men fade. The purposes that you have in this world go away. The provision that you gain for yourself, you will find one day you can no longer provide for yourself. Or the world will remind you that it can take any of it away in a second. 
but not with him. His promises, his provision, his purpose, his presence is unshakable. So be stable. Hold on to it and don't let the circumstances of life make you doubt God and doubt his heart and his love and his care for you. Be reminded of what Christmas means. The verse I read before, his love is manifested in this, that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. Be stable and remain hopeful. Things can feel pretty hopeless at times. I mean, just look at our world. And I don't mean to, to bring anything negative to us, but here's the thing. Church, Christians, the Bible is very clear. If you think it's hopeless now, it's not getting better. I think it's going to get worse. This world is on a downhill trajectory that will never go back up. So if you think it's getting hopeless now, it is far more going to become that in the years to come. But the heralding of Jesus by the angels, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, they are guarantees of something really great. His return. He is coming again. He told us in John, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back again to take you where I am. That where I am, there you may be also. That's our guarantee so remain hopeful. When the rest of the world is panicking, go, I know it's getting worse, but I have a better hope. When the rest of the world is scrounging around trying to fix all the brokenness, we go, we have a king who will fix all the brokenness, and I'm waiting for him to come back. When the rest of the world is in fear, we are reminded of the hope we have that our king sits on the throne. And brothers and sisters, he is coming again. And I know you've heard this before, but it needs to be reminded, this time he won't come as a baby. This time he will come as a king. This time he will not come in a manger. This time he will come on a horse. This time he will not need a mother to wipe away his tears and to clean his diaper and to put a bottle in his mouth. Not that they had bottles in those days, but nonetheless, like you know what I'm saying? This time he's going to come with a sword. And our king, when he comes again, will establish our hope and he will establish our inheritance and our kingdom as his people because he has reconciled us to himself. Amen? So church, remain hopeful. Remain hopeful. Continue in faith. Be stable in, in 2022. Always remain in the hope of Christmas not just on December 25th of every year. The great news of joy given to us in this season, that Jesus is the reconciliation between God and man, God and the shepherds, God and Joseph, God and Mary. Just can you imagine Mary holding her baby? Baby Jesus, and she's holding the very one who would reconcile her to God. Jesus is reconciling Mary to God and Peter to God and you to God and me to God. This is Christmas. Let it carry you throughout the year because he is transferring us from darkness to light. He's transferring us from displeasure to his pleasure. He is taking us who were alienated and making us holy. He's taking those of us who were hostile and making us blameless. He's taking those of us who are full of evil and he is making us above reproach. This is our king. This is Christmas.
Father, I want to pray this morning that for all of us in this space, Father, my brothers and sisters that are here, I just pray that they hear this the way I heard it as I was just walking through this, just as a reinvigoration of like what the wonder of what you have done is for us. I pray you'd stir our hearts to joy and you'd stir our hearts to hope and stir our hearts to want to be faithful with zeal in the coming year. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be stable in these things, to anchor ourselves into your truth, even when the world around us is falling apart. I pray, Father, that we would rest not in our own goodness or our own deeds, but we would rest in the glorious righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those that are in this space or listening online that don't know you, I pray that you would open their ears to hear the great news of great joy that is for them. For them. That they would not have hard hearts, but they would hear it. They would hear it because one day they will stand before Jesus, your son. And there is no refuge from him. I pray that they would hear that statement and they would, that it, they would not sleep again until they have come to peace with God. There will be no refuge from him, but there is a sweet refuge in him. May they hear it and may they place their trust in him this morning.